Reverend Lisa Jenkins, and I'm the senior pastor of the St. Matthews Baptist Church of Harlem, and uh, I consider myself somewhat of a cultural theologian. I like to think that I find God in the most ordinary things, whether it's entertainment, whether it's politics, uh, in everything. I believe that God is there. What do you see as your responsibilities or priorities as senior pastor here? Aside from bringing people to Christ, of course, which is first and foremost, is making sure that uh, the people are equipped to empower others, that the people are uh, equipped, one, to lead themselves, to understand the importance of who they are in Christ Jesus, to understand that they have a voice, and then to help other people and empower them with a voice. There's so much that's happening in the Harlem community. There's so much that's happening in our world. And one of the things that I think that the traditional church has done is to stay insular and to um, not understand that we have not only a voice, but we must utilize that voice so that we can be the change agents and the transformative objects and the transformative individuals who are outside of the four walls making a difference in the church, in the community, and in the world. How do you manage change and what kind of conflicts have you experienced just in your role here with change in mind? You first have to change the culture. And culture is something that's not easily seen. It's, it's not easily detected, but it's there. If you walk into a place, you can discern the culture. And so changing the culture, the mindset, the understanding of what ministry really is, that, that we have to do away with 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 some of the things that might be traditional but have absolutely nothing to do with Christ, that have absolutely nothing to do with the Bible, but things that we do, that can be difficult because people are often entrenched in that and, and it gives them a sense of who they really are, even though it has nothing to do with, with Jesus Christ. Do you have members in your congregation that have struggled with that conflict of believing that it's a teaching when it isn't in the Bible? Yeah, as pastor, I've had uh, one person, at least one, who, who I know for a fact, because she told me, I mean, she left the church because she could not, um, she could not worship under a female pastor. And so we need to have teaching where people can be able to understand what the scriptures are really saying with regard to women in ministry. Have you come across much prejudice as a female reverend? Oh my goodness, yes. Every day, it's, it's, it's people that don't even know that they do it by the, you know, every time you hear someone that mentions um, the brethren, when really, the, you know, when they're talking about ministers overall, you know, they mention the brothers or when they call men by their title, Reverend Joe Smith, but they'll say Lisa, you know, and men and women do it. Even ways when you hear about, they'll say, we want all of the pastors to, in, it's, it, uh, to come and feel free to bring your wives. S okay. And what about husbands? Okay, you know, really? So little things like that, that you hear that let people know where their hearts really are and that is even as progressive as they might say they are, their language says something totally different. How does the prejudice faced by being a female reverend compare to the prejudice faced being black? I pastor a predominantly African-American congregation. It's, it, it really is. And, and, you know, our thing is that we are 
um, unapologetically black, unashamedly Christian. You know, and so as far as me being black, that really has no bearing, not in my circle for the most part. It's really more of being a female. How do you think parishioners uh, behave differently towards female reverence to male reverence? Have you got any examples that you know of where male reverence are treated differently? Oh. Absolutely. You know, male reverends, if they're single, everyone's going to cook for them. They're going to make sure that their shirts are clean, that their robes are clean. Women, you know, by and large, we've got to find our own way. Um, You know, I've had some people here at my church that have been helpful, I will say. Some of the, you know, particularly a few of the younger members. But overall, we've got to find our own way. When you preach, what are your strong messages? That Jesus hears us, that he sees us, that he sees you, that he understands what we're going through as an oppressed people, that the, the Jesus and the Savior that God sent in the form of humanity was concerned about the politics of that day, that Jesus died on a cross because he preached a message that was counter to the Roman Empire, And that because he was bold enough to speak to those who were considered the least, those who were marginalized, poor people, women, people who were sick, who were um, who were cast aside, that we as disciples have to do the same. We have to be concerned about the empire that we live in today, that we have to be concerned about those who are considered the least of these, who are cast aside, and that we as a marginalized people here in this country who have, um, whose blood, whose blood soaks into the ground that fertilizes this country, that God hears our cry and that he is a deliverer, not just of our lives in a salvific way, but in a holistic way here, he's concerned about us not just reaching heaven, yes, reaching heaven, but he's concerned about how we live here today in this empire that we call America. What do you think about how we live today in the States and globally? It's very divisive. It's, it's, it's more divisive than ever, um, I think. And, and I, I'll say more than ever only because we should have been evolved by now with all the countries been through. We're, I mean, this is not... The 1800s, the Civil War is over. Um, Jim Crow is supposed to have been over. Um, we have laws that are supposed to protect people, but yet and still, we have individuals who are being profiled simply because they're black, simply because they're brown. You know, it, it's it's ridiculous. You've had people who who are moving into their own homes with a key in their hand, and they're the cops are being called on them. You've got Black people who are picking up trash on their own front lawn, their own front lawn, and the cops are coming out with guns held. It's, it, it shouldn't be like that. And God is not pleased about any of this. And so we need voices that are voices that can bring people together. And we don't have that voice right now in our leadership. We do not have a voice that, that brings people together. When... When tragedy strikes, we need a voice that can reconcile 
individuals, you know, like the Prime Minister of New Zealand did during that tragic shooting at the mosque. What a voice of compassion and reason. And we, we miss that here. I miss it, and I know many people miss that voice here in our country. Why do you think division has been able to dominate? Why has it been able to come to the fore as a policy? I think that many people have had have been harboring some things within them for quite some time. And instead of, of those voices that make us realize that we have more in common than what we have that's different, we've had voices that bring out the differences. The sickness of racism, of xenophobia, the sickness of ethnocentrism, and, and all those other isms has been deeply buried. And even though some people might have been getting better, we've now been placed right back into an environment that is conducive to making people sick again. Was it inevitable that you would become a pastor? When you say inevitable. Have you always believed in God? Did you always know that your route through life would involve ministry? Absolutely not. I've, I've always believed in God, yes. I was raised in the church. In fact, the church that I was raised in was where I heard messages of social justice, the messages about Moses who, you know, delivered the people out of bondage. Those are the messages that I heard. But ministry? Me? No. I was not. I was in human resources before this, working for a major corporation, a Fortune 500 company. Um, you know, that is what I was doing. When I was in college, I was a communications major and a uh, journalism minor. I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to go into journalism. <laughs> uh, wound up in human resources, and no way in the world did I ever think that I would go into ministry. How did you end up here then? I don't have an answer. I did not ask to be in ministry. In fact, my calling was confirmed by other people. I'm a firm believer that if you're called to do something, that a way will be made for you. If you just stick to that path, if you just prayerfully hold on to that vision, it'll somehow come to fruition. Your website says that you've weathered some storms along the way. What are those storms? Being ostracized by the church that I grew up in because... I was uh, a, an unwed mother, and remember, I was not in ministry. I was just a regular congregant. That was a storm. I realized that the storm was there so that I could later on be able to connect with others who might go through similar storms. Another storm was uh, even earlier than that when I was told that I would uh, that I should not apply to a four-year college because I was going to a vocational school, did not have some of the required um, curriculum, and I ignored that. Graduated from a, a four-year college, a very good four-year college, reputable four-year college. And then now I'm teaching as a professor, as an adjunct for the City University of New York, the nation's largest urban college system. Storms. Every day, um, there's something that is challenging. There's something that comes up every day. But 
again, it's the storms that nourish us. For me, it's the storms that nourish me, that allow me to grow and realize that there is more to do and that simply because I've gone through a storm, there's someone else that's going through a hurricane, a tsunami. There's someone else that has a tornado in their life. And the reason I went through a storm was that not only so I can grow, but so that I can help others overcome some of the things that they're dealing with as well. You were diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was a storm. <laughs> that was a storm. I have never, I've never been sick before in my life like that. You know, I've cold, flu, you know, I've never been hospitalized. Had a C-section, my son. Eh, that was not like this. And it, it was purely by chance, nothing's by chance, though, that I found out about the cancer. It was in January of 2017 that they found out that I had a cyst. And it was in April of 2017 that it was the size of a small pineapple. They had to operate immediately because it was um, a cancer that was just rapidly affecting my body. I was in the hospital for 11 days. Uh, and then when I came out of the hospital, it was challenging. My cousin came from Indiana to stay with me. Um, and I just had a great support network. But it was a challenge. And it still is at times. It's a challenge not just physically and emotionally. It's a challenge with your mortality and coming to grips with who you are and the time that you have left on this earth. If you, I mean, we, we all know that we have to go. We all, we all know that we are going to die. But for those of us that it had not been on our radar as much... That sense of mortality moves quickly to the front of the line and lets you realize that there are some things that you must get done in this world and there are some things that you must see in this world. I've got to see God's earth before I die. I've got to, I've got, I've got to see God's magnificence. I've got to help people before I die. You know, um, as a social justice preacher, I've not been concerned a lot about well, we're all concerned about money because we have, we have to have money to live, of course. But I've not been, you know, it's, it, I'm concerned about it now because I actually, one of my goals is to be able to fund causes that I feel are important to me. So being a social justice advocate, and, and, and I've always been on the opposite end of this whole prosperity gospel, you know, where it's all about money. God wants you to have, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a place in between where, yeah, God wants us to care about those who are in the community. But now I'm like, wait a minute, I really have to be concerned about the finances, not only my own, but for my people. And I want to be able to be a, phila a philanthropist. That's what I want to be. I want to be able to just write a check for a cause so that I know that people, groups, organizations that, that are out there to help people, that they can sustain themselves. That's my goal now, more than ever. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't slowed down, have you? I guess I haven't. I keep thinking I have. I sleep later. I don't get up as early. And when I do wake up early, I don't get out of bed as early as I used to. So even though I still wake up early, I, I lay there for a while. 
before I get up. So that's different. What do you think about when you're lying there in the morning? It could be anything from what I'm going to do during the day to what happened the previous day. You know, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll ask Alexa to play MSNBC for me or CNN, which is, you know, some people think it's fake news, but it has always, I've always found it pretty accurate. You know, I just think about what God has in store for me. What am I to do? How am I to be used that day? How can I be used that day? Taking one day at a time. What's my next step just for that day? How important is forgiveness to your life story? Forgiveness is important to everyone's life story, whether they know it or not. You know, it's 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 what we must do. We can. It's forgiveness is 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 a cancer. I mean, unforgiveness rather is a cancer. It's it can it doesn't just hold you back, but it can make you sick and prevent you from moving into the calling that God has for all of us. It's 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 very important. So was it easy for you to forgive the pastor who kicked you out of church? Uh, you know. I don't remember if it was easy or not. It was um, it was such a tumultuous time. I I do know, uh, I do know that I I did go back to the church, and he was the one who actually licensed me to preach. His explanation was that uh, I was different. You know, there were other women who had had babies out of wedlock that that were not asked to leave the church, which was also stunning for me. So when he asked when he asked me to leave, he said because I was visible. I was totally confused, but, you know, perhaps, you know, I just had to realize that he saw something in me as a father in ministry and he was not equipped to handle it. And even though we see people in leadership and we think that they are equipped for certain things, even as my pastor and my, you know, my father in ministry at the time, he's deceased now, I had to understand that he saw something in me, but me being pregnant uh, and unwed, he was not equipped to handle it. And I had to come to grips with that, that there are people that do things that are just not equipped. And that's of no fault of their own oftentimes. How do you attract more people to your faith? And I'm talking about your social justice faith as much as your religious faith. For me, it's just being transparent. It's just, it's being, it's it's not living a hypocritical life. I think many people are repelled from the church because they feel that the church is full of hypocrites and that we are one way in the church and we're another way outside of the church or that we are not managing the finances we're doing other things that you know we you know that we say that we are not doing but we are it's 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 being transparent it's making sure that we are living the life that we are also serving the community we need people who are able to make a difference. And so to attract folks, you have to be able to already have some things in place. And and prayerfully, people will see that what we do have in place is transparency. What we do have in place is a message that will connect with people, that we are, we are connecting the Bible with what's happening in the world, whether it's what's happening politically, which affects all of us, whether it's what's happening culturally or socially with individuals who are um, who are, who are dying, you know, like today's sermon when we talked about Nipsey Hussle, who was gunned down in Los Angeles last week. You know, that's something that that resonates with, with young people and, and many others who are trying to do the right thing, just ordinary people trying to do the right thing. I think if we have a message, a gospel message that connects, 
then we'll be able to bring in people, men and women, who can help us be the transformative agents that God has called us to be in our communities. You baptised a young girl today. Does that give you hope that somebody that young is so interested in the church and so committed to it at such a young age? It does. It does. I, I cannot tell you how much joy I get just from looking at her because she gives me hope. She gives me joy. In her and others like her, I see that there really is a future. I see that there are possibilities. I see that things can be done and that there is another generation coming up after me that will be able to carry on um, what we have started. And to finish, what's your favorite verse? Favorite verse is Luke 4. It's interesting because Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan. And with all these temptations in a wilderness experience, Jesus stands his ground against Satan and he leaves that place. And the very next thing he does is begins his ministry by saying, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's my favorite verse because not only is it the inaugural message of Jesus, of his ministry, but the fact that he came out of a wilderness experience after being tempted by Satan and he was still able to stand his ground lets me know that we all go through situations that are in the wilderness at times where we will be tempted. But if we stand our ground, just remember that the Lord's hand is upon us. His spirit is on us because I know I'm anointed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news for people who are poor, people who are marginalized, people who are thought of by the world as the least of these. And this whole idea of proclaiming freedom for prisoners, not just people that are incarcerated behind bars, but people who are imprisoned psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, people who, who are walking around in prison because there, there are bars that have been set up by our society that are holding us back from achieving things that we can achieve. We don't believe we can achieve it because we are imprisoned. And there's this recovery of sight for the blind. And, I, and it was interesting when I read that, I, like, I think I like that particular part of the verse more than any because it doesn't say to um, the sight for the blind, but the recovery of sight just lets me know that there was sight there at some point. In other words, humanity humanity was born with vision. Humanity, the when 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 God was when God created humanity, we were created with vision. But but that vision, that sight has somehow been distorted. We are walking around either blind or we're walking around with a distorted vision. But it is up to us as women and men of God and all believers who believe that God has called us to a ministry to be servants in our communities and in this world, that we've got to recover the sight which was lost due to the forces in this world.
So that's really what it's about for me. Recovery of sight for those who have been blinded by all that is happening in this world, the machinations and the evil and the the racism and the sexism and the xenophobia and everything that is contrary to the love of God. That's what I'm called to do. That's what we should all be called to do, I think. Not just me as pastor, all of us who say they love God. Yeah. Bertie Prayer is a Watchware Media production.